Hi, everybody. My name is Michael Angelo Caruso, but you knew that. What you don't know is that my special guest today is Mary Avilas, and she is fantastic. I heard her speak to the Troy Rotary Club a while back, and she is one of the most interesting ladies I've ever heard the pleasure of giving a presentation. How are you, Mary? Fine, thank you, Michael. Thanks for having me. Listen to this. Mary, uh, when, we, when people describe Mary, think of a, a, um, Mary as a cross between Russell Crowe in Beautiful Mind and Melanie Griffith in Working Girl. She uh, has a, uh, what she calls a seemingly disparate career, but she spent the last 20 years looking for and making connections specifically um, uh, through um, synthesizing huge amounts of unstructured data, unstructured data, to tell meaningful stories that yield real-world implications. And I fell in love with her topic when she spoke to Troy Rotary because the title of the topic inferred that there's no such thing as privacy. And, th and the title was something like The Privacy Illusion, right, Mary? Yep. And so it's interesting that, that we, 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 we tell Facebook we want to be private. We, we tell everybody we don't want to give out our social security number. But all of that's really a myth. And, and you laid it out so well for us. Tell us, a, give us a few anecdotes about why exactly we're so delusional about the fact we have any privacy at all. Okay, sure thing. Um, I'd like to start with, um, with a quote from um, Pulitzer Prize winning uh, um, journalist, Andrew Lewis. He says, you know, if, if you're not paying for it, you're, the, you're, the, you're not the customer, you're the product being sold, right? So, so you know, if you think about um, all of the, you know, privacy in society today, consider it sort of the cost, if you will. You know, we, we routinely rely on free services over paid models, right? We could, we could choose to pay for uh, services, but oftentimes we take the free trial instead, right? So as an example, Facebook. Yeah. Facebook is a free model. We think, oh, isn't this great? Exactly. I get to deal with all my friends. And, and somebody has paid for all this infrastructure. And the reason, yes. uh, so let's see, if you're not paying for it, you're not the customer, you're not the customer? You're not the product? Yeah, you're the product being sold. You're the product being sold. And the product is the data that we provide Facebook. All this seemingly, yep. seemingly harmless information is actually quite valuable to Facebook. Exactly. And it's not just your demographic data, right? It's not just that you're a male in a certain age, you know, in a certain living in a certain place of a certain marital status. It's actually what's what's far more valuable is your behavioral data and not just what you do, what you like, how you, you know, things you comment on, but what everyone in your network likes and comments on. So, you know, that's it. it we're at a, a time in history unprecedented, um, according to, to computer scientists that where we have this vast volume of behavioral data all in one place, essentially. And it's not just Facebook, it's LinkedIn, it's Twitter, it's Instagram. Yes, it's any, anywhere. Yep, anywhere, anywhere we're we interacting digitally. Okay, yeah. so how bad is it? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the reason it's so bad is that, um, to your point, right, companies like Facebook, they approach data from a closed perspective, right? They pay to basically keep you know, all of your data in a central database. And it's, it's hugely complex and expensive, right? But yeah. that makes you, uh, your data, uh, an easy target, if you will, right? Your, your data lives in what's you know, referred to by the New York Magazine last weekend as a honeypot, right? It's, yeah. easy, it's an easy score for a hacker or a bad actor who's trying to get at your information. 
So it's interesting because we're never really uh, concerned about how much information we're giving away for free. Right. Until we hear one of those two words, hack or breach. What's right. the difference between a hack and a breach? You have a great definition. Generally speaking, a hack is something that's intentional, right? You're targeted. You know, there, there's some, there, your data represents something of value on the black market, whereas a breach traditionally is more accidental, right? I, I was driving down the highway, you know, and got a, in a car crash, and I had a box of files, and the files blew down the freeway, and they happened to have all your personally identified medical information in it, right. or your social security number or whatever. Right. So that, well, that's the difference. So a hack, uh, if I owned a company, a hack would be somebody coming from the outside to get my information, but a breach may be somebody on my team did something careless and the information got out. Agreed, although um, you know, there's, there's data to suggest that a huge amount of um, corporate problems come from internal, internal breaches, intentional, an intentional breach, if you will. So there are combinations of the two, interesting. Yes. Yep. You, also, you also had interesting information about uh, the large breaches, Equifax, the ones we hear about. Right, and so summary of that. Um, you know, in those cases, those were highly publicized because of the huge volumes or the huge quantities of of records that were released or you know that got that got exploited. Um, there's a site called Information Is Beautiful, which has sort of an uh, interactive um, infographic where you can sort of track the history of and the details behind all the sort of the largest, you know, breaches, data breaches in the last couple of years. And there are a lot of breaches that we don't hear about. Uh, you, we hadn't heard much about Amazon getting breached, but was it in the talk that you said Amazon's been breached a lot? We just don't hear uh, about it? Well, Amazon Web Services is their AWS is the part of Amazon that runs, I, I think it's like 62% of cloud-based business runs through or runs on the AWS platform. Right. And that platform, it did come down last year. I think it was last year at the beginning of the year, relatively, um, it was a relatively big um, news event when um, sort, of, sort of many of the companies along the East Coast that run on AWS came down for a period of time. Um, and that was a unified hacking effort where hackers actually got um, it, it, the Internet of Things and Internet connected devices. They worked together with those devices to bring down uh, AWS services for a period so of time. So hacks and breaches are a fact of life. There's nothing we can do about it. And our yeah. information is being shared readily. And it's getting worse. Now yeah. with voice, we have this new person in our house named Alexa. How's yeah. that working out? I mean, in, if you think about Alexa, you know, there's a comic um, that I use that, you know, we broadcast all kinds of information on ourselves. You know, when the comic says something like um, in the 60s, you know, we were so worried that, you know, that the government was wiretapping our phones. And now, you know, it's like instead of Alexa, it's like, hey, wiretap, do you have a recipe for pancakes? <laughs> right. You know, right. We're, we're, we're voluntarily giving up information on a regular yeah. basis. And. And the information is becoming confidential. I, I just read this week, maybe late last week, that uh, Morgan Stanley Chase, the big bank, mm -hmm. just signed a contract with VaynerMedia, it's Gary Vaynerchuk's company, about uh, exploring the possibilities of voice-activated banking commands, like, right. hey, Morgan, St Morgan Stanley Chase, transfer $200 from my checking to my savings, Yeah, which means all your... It's no longer uh, where order me a pizza, Alexa. It's right. for money from my account, Alexa. Absolutely. Toothbrushes now have IP addresses. Toasters, yep. refrigerators. Yes. Right. Yeah. 
Yeah. Now, uh, when I, I do a lot of motivational talks and I have this thing, I, I think people are basically good. But when I listen to you, I worry about whether I'm right. <laughs> what do you think? Are people basically good? Can we trust people in general with information? No, I don't think we can, but I don't think it's, it has to do with whether people are good or bad. I just think it has to do with what we're incented by. And also from a corporate perspective, um, what, you know, especially if you're a public company, you know, you're a slave to the street, right? So you have to perform. And so your, um, your desire to perform and keep your stock, you know, price where it needs to be, um, oftentimes all other sort of things, be, you know, take second, second chair to that, to that desire. So I think that we, um, we can't depend on private companies that are, you know, profit driven and individuals working in private companies to be responsible for our data. We need a systematized approach that's, that's decentralized. Um, a de it, you know, and, and that change is coming systemically. Um, the, the, the reason that, you know, people, people talk a lot about, about Bitcoin, but, but the reason they do is that Bitcoin was one of the few is sort of the first blockchain technology to sort of become sort of a household name. Um, Bitcoin is a distributed general ledger, but blockchain, it, that, which is the sort of the protocol that it runs on, I don't know if protocol is the right word, but it essentially allows for a network of distributed trust. And if you could, instead of keeping all of your private, you know, identity information in one little honeypot, if you work a centralized database or a handful of centralized databases, if instead aspects of your identity lived in data lockers, all across a distributed network, a globally distributed network, it would be much harder for a bad actor. It would take much more effort to break into all those different places to compile your, your identity. Yeah, we read a lot about Bitcoin, but without blockchain, there would be no Bitcoin. Is that true? Correct, yep. And so there, it, it's sort of this platform, if you will, very simply, that different applications like Bitcoin run on. And right. so it, it does it does suggest a, you know, a, a possible um, solution for the future, but you know, the companies that are, that are, that are developing in, in programming on, on blockchain right now are very, very young, right? They're, they're very alpha. We've talked about corporations having all this data. We've talked about whether there are good people or bad people at the corporations and, and, and it doesn't really matter maybe because there's an old saying power, absolute power corrupts absolutely or yeah. something like this. Yeah recent in the recent election and i don't think this is going away anytime soon there is compelling evidence that another country used data facebook in particular to uh, get people all riled up and vote in a certain direction have you done any research on this yeah i i, I reference a guardian article from last year that talks about cambridge analytica um, and um, it's a company that many political parties have used um, to help their part, their candidates or their candidacies or their platforms win. Mm. Um, in this case, um, Cambridge Analytica was able to develop, use Facebook to develop a behavioral profile um, and, and sort of very simply marry that to your you know, voting records and, and your demographic information. And they were able to develop an algorithm that could, um, for example, if you, you know, 
one of the scores that they had was sort of a high on the um, neurotic scale. And if that were the case, then they could program what your Facebook feed had on it to, for example, as the article states, show um, a high propensity of articles that talked about immigrants swamping the country. And so that that's what we, what we mean when we worry about fake news, right? I mean, that's algorithm-driven news that gets you riled up because you your profile suggested that you were. Well, don't uh, um, make it easy. we make it even easier than that for the algorithm because it, it doesn't have to address an emotional, a deep-seated emotional state like um, like um, neur- neuroticism or um, paranoia because we're typing Democrat and Republican into right. the Facebook posts all right. the time. Absolutely. That's right. another trigger for the algorithm, right? Signaling, sure. Yep. Yeah, signaling, thank you. Yeah. So a uh, little little back, uh, back step here because... Uh, uh, most people don't know what an algorithm is. I had a, a client recently who was an active investor. Uh, you'd love them because they, they keep a lot of data on investments. <laughs> and, uh, and the salespeople were selling an algorithm that they didn't understand to clients who didn't understand what an algorithm was. Yeah. And, and they, asked, they, they hired me to coach them on how to increase sales. It was an interesting gig. Yes. Let me ask you a question. I have tested this with a few people. Give me your impression. So... Uh, if I had to explain what an algorithm was to somebody, I use the old 9-11 example, that when, when, the, when the planes all crashed, all the evidence was gone, right? We had okay. no people, no witnesses, no people to testify. Everything was burned up in the rubble. Yeah. But we did have a passenger manifest. And then out, here's how I explain algorithm. You tell me if, if this is a, a, a good way for us to move, go moving forward in our conversation. That if you knew Mohammed Atta, and that is his name, he, he flew one of the planes. Uh-huh. If you could cross-list hit with him with all the other passengers on the plane and discover who had lived next to Mohammed Atta at different stages of his life, an algorithm would tell you you could live next to him once and not be part of a terrorist cell, but you probably didn't live next to him twice and not be a terrorist yourself. Is that a good way to explain it? How would you that, call it? That could be, uh, I mean, that, that could be a, a way to, th- to think about an algorithm. The one that I like to give people because it kind of, um, it's, scares them, <laughs> but you know, but is the, is the target example that I showed you um, in, at the Troy Rotary talk, um, where Dr. Jennifer Goldbeck in her TED talk talks about a young woman, I think she was 15, whose parents found out she was pregnant before she told them because Target had been sending her, to addressed to her, a variety of baby-oriented um, mailers and promotional materials. And, and the reason why is that their algorithm took her shopping, took shopping data from, you know, everyone who shops at Target and it built a model that said if you buy these three things, the propensity of you being pregnant is very, very high, over 90%. So it was a colorful rug, a bag large enough, not a diaper bag, but a bag large enough to carry supplies and extra vitamins, not prenatal vitamins, but more vitamins than you used to buy. Those three things pretty much signaled that you were pregnant. So, so that's a, a way to think about an algorithm. Right. So these behaviors of this woman were picked up by social or more particularly by Target. Shopping, their own shopping. And then products started being delivered to the home or something. Well, how mailing, did the father find out? 
coupons in the mail from Target that were all baby oriented. And so you know, he called and said like, you know, my daughter's 15, why, you know, you must be making a mistake. And they were like, oh, sorry. You know, and then he realized uh, later that she in fact was pregnant. And then just to bring this whole scary story around full circle, this is Target, the department store that was breached not long ago. Huge. Well, right, exactly. And in fact, in that case, their CEO was fired. You know, but yes. So yes, to, exactly. To bring it full circle, Target was very uh, was one of the largest breaches. Uh, again, it was not last calendar year. I think it was 2016. But yeah, that they, they had a huge data breach. Now I'm uh, pretty sure I'm never going to be pregnant. <laughs> dad has passed away, so he can't yell at me. Even if I do become pregnant, what do I need to worry about if? if I shop at Target and Target gets breached? Well, um, maybe that's not such a great example, but if, if, if Facebook data, if someone got a hold of your Facebook data, there are some, you know, they can, one of the things that are easy to tell from Facebook data is your um, sexual orientation. And there are some countries in which you can be thrown in jail or killed based on your sexual orientation, yeah. right? Yeah. So if that information got out, your life could be at risk. Wow, yeah, that's a serious issue for sure. <laughs> So let's uh, let's keep. This is a spider web, man. I just love going down these little channels. Let's talk about um, voice. Uh, we, we've talked about voice a little bit with uh, Alexa. Um, why is Alexa and, and the GPS? Why are these voices always female, Mary? <laughs> it turns out that data suggests that that female voices are trusted more than male. So so and MIT yeah. does. And women. Well, I'm taking directions from a female in the car all the time. That's right, <laughs> which is interesting. Well, and you, you brought up another point too. You talked about, you know, how, how come we don't always hear about these breaches? And I think an important point to make is that um, corporation, corporate reputation is on the line, right? I mean, especially for private or for public companies. So if your company is breached, there's, an, there's a huge sort of crisis communications and, and corporate brand reputation component of that, right? Your sales go down, uh, you know, and your, your CEOs and your executives can get fired and sent to jail. I mean, you know, there, you know, security is a, is a mindset that organizations need to embrace. You mentioned a term in the talk, dark hotel. Yes. Can you talk about that? I, I love introducing, I think yeah. in order to understand something, you have to know the lexicon. What is a dark hotel? Tell yeah, us so again. A dark hotel is, so one, um, one of the things that security professionals are um, pretty adamant about is that you should never use public Wi-Fi ever, ever, ever. Uh, that, you know, public Wi-Fi, while, again, while free, Right, it just opens up all of your systems. Right, if for it's someone. free, you are the product. That's right. Someone can get in, and so um, at a hotel, especially, um, and especially, you know, when you talked about hackers targeting people, especially during things like um, the Republican and Democrats national conventions, when there's going to be a big body of people, like journalists or you know candidates um, that are in a hotel, it's it's a practice or it can be a practice in the sort of dark web world for a bad actor to set up um, a fake Wi-Fi. So it would look to a, someone staying in that hotel just like they were dialing into the right you know to the Wi-Fi for their room when in fact there was sort of a a, a different layer added and all the and so then you were actually plugging into the bad actors dark hotel and all your information was just going right <laughs> to that person or that entity. 
all these rich analogies, the bad actors, the hacker, the dark hotels, the unfriendly or ominous hotel. Nobody wants yeah. to stay at a dark hotel. Yeah. Shadowy, shadowy place. Um, let's talk about uh, this new phenomenon with uh, home delivery. Yeah. We ordered uh, some products from Costco, and we were delighted initially that they offered to send it to the home for free. There's that ugly F word again. They were going to deliver that for free. I suspect, I suspected initially this was about competing with the new Amazon free service. Yeah. Um, but if you really take apart, take apart the model, what we're saying really is that we trust. Well, first of all, there's a lot of stuff going on here. Packages are stolen off of porches all the time. Sure. It's good stuff. There's a lot of a lot of dollars, right? So I think one of the reasons people want it delivered inside the home, which is the new Amazon offering, right. you will actually give Amazon access to the inside of your house. Right. Because you trust the stranger at Amazon more than you trust the stranger, the strangers who walk by your house and see the brown box on the porch. Right. But why is Amazon so interested in getting inside the house? And it's not to say they have any ulterior motives, but there's something else at play here, right? Well, I think that it's just an aspect of radical convenience, right? We've become um, we've become so used to personalization and customization, right? And so Amazon looked at the problem, right? The problem is they're losing money because they have to resend you whatever was stolen off your porch, um, and you're you know you're experiencing an inconvenience to things which Amazon doesn't like, right? Or anyone, any anyone who's doing mailing to your home. So in theory. What by introducing Amazon Keyword, they're saying is that you trust the Amazon brand so much that you're willing to like let that regular, theoretically regular driver into your home, right? But well, we know that Amazon outsources, right? <laughs> so, you know, it's it, it's not like your mailman, you know, necessarily. We're the same or, or mail carrier. We're the same, you know, person coming by all the time necessarily. It could just be, you know, some random person depending on where you live. Yeah, and it could be your mailman because I think Amazon right. contacts with you. It could be your mailman. I'd probably feel better if it were my mail carrier than <laughs> some random person off the street. So this is fascinating because now it's not just uh, unstructured data. It's about it's about behavioral uh, it's about behavioral psychology, right? It's, yeah. the, it's the essence of choice. Yep. When ride sharing was introduced, I thought there's no way I'm ever going to get a, in a car with a total stranger. Right. And let him drive me around, especially in a strange city. Are you nuts? But it turns out it was just another form of ride sharing. You yep. either ride share with Uber or Lyft, or you ride share with a crazy taxi cab guy, because that's the same exactly. basic premise. Yep, exactly. And what Uber and Lyft did, and by the way, they're collecting data like crazy too, Absolutely. is they created a choice that was so much better than traditional taxi cabs that, that they really set the industry on its ear. And then Uber got in trouble. Everybody's going to get in trouble on the hack and breach thing. Right. What do you have to worry about with people like that? They, they know where you live now. They have your credit card. What else? Sure. I mean, you know, what you, what you mentioned, that behavioral aspect of things is that it's, it's what we call the private, well, the Harvard Business Review calls the privacy paradox, right? So it's, it's like healthcare, right? So people's behavior suggests they don't care as much about privacy as they say. Right. So they like the idea of privacy, but they don't seem to value it enough to take steps to protect themselves. So much like, you know, you know, you need to lose weight, you know, because you have high blood pressure, but you just can't bring yourself to go to that gym. You know, it's kind of the same idea. 
You know, the paradox, I love that word paradox because, um, and I love illusion. I love it when we're being, when, when we're not seeing what we think we're seeing. There's something about that. It's just so fun to talk about. And that's why I wanted to have you on the podcast. This is Mary Avila, everybody. And we're talking about the privacy illusion or what's called the privacy paradox. I think there's a healthcare paradox, Mary. I think that, um, I think our healthcare system is predicated on, on the fact that everybody wants to take care of themselves. Right. And I don't think that's true at all. Otherwise, nobody would be smoking. Nobody would be overeating. Well, and sure. I, I mean, par- sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, it's, you know, I think that you're exactly right. When a paradox exists, it's usually because what we need to do to help ourselves is too hard, right? It just seems too hard, right? So, so we're, especially as it pertains to privacy, I think that the issue is, and, and, and to some extent, healthcare too. Um, you know, we don't have the, all the information, right, in order to make informed consent. And whenever you, you, talk, you hear the same word that doctors and surgeons use too, right, they want to help, help you make an informed choice about your health, right? But to build that body of information, right, in, to develop informed consent can be, you know, time-consuming and complicated. Sure. I mean, we're just finished talking about algorithms and unstructured data, you know, I mean, those can be complicated things. Yeah. And, and, and then swinging around to the behavioral piece, which is key, uh, Richard Thacker, who recently won the uh, Nobel Prize in economics, behavioral economics, this new thing now, he says, uh, and his, his premise was quite simple. He said, he said, all of our economic models are predicated on the fact that people are rational, but people yeah. aren't rational at all. They make all right. kinds of stupid decisions about money. And uh, he called it for what it was. He got through the paradox, just like you are. You're calling it for what it is. Where are we going with all this, Mary? Um, You had mentioned things like facial recognition as a way to get around passwords and that sort of thing. Is that that coming our way? I I don't think that, I think facial recognition is not necessarily going to to do it for us. I think, again, just, I think we're, we're, because just, you know, what uh, Apple learned with its new facial recognition feature, while it's a good thing, you know, they're keying on this need, right? They've developed a need-based feature. People feel like they need privacy, but there's ways around it. You know, they're learning that, you know, mothers and sons who look alike or twins or, you know, you know family members with, with a lot of facial similarity, they can break into each other's phones, you know? Right. Um, so that's probably just a short-term fix. I think, you know, I think that um, distributed identity on blockchain, it, you know, is, a, is, is hopefully systemically where we're heading. Okay, so it's more, more soon about Bitcoin slash blockchain, which has this yeah. more sophisticated security. Yeah, yeah. And just, harder and to hack, harder to breach. Yeah, exactly. And then okay. I think that in, as in, there's things we can do as consumers to, to better educate ourselves. Um, the the, um, the um, IEEE um, has a great site, a great part of their website. I think it's at IEEE.org where you can go look at what type of data you're giving away with your, on your internet of things, all the thing, all your connected devices, you can kind of check on your car and your refrigerator and it kind of shows you all the type of data that's being collected and what marketers might use it for, right? Um, and then in the meantime, there's, there's uh, I, I like Brian Krebs who um, used to, I think he was a journalist for the Washington Post, but he now writes for something called Krebs on Security. And he talks okay. about all different things you do as your as a as a person to you can put a security freeze on all your uh, accounts with the major um credit bureaus that's you know it's usually about ten dollars a bureau and nobody you know makes it harder for people to get your information that way 
Krebs um, is K-R-E-B-S, Krebs on security. Yep. Okay. Yes. Yep. And just to backtrack, you don't, if you're listening or watching, you don't need to know what the IEEE stands for. She's right. It's I-E-E-E dot org and uh, all kinds of tools there on how to figure out what's really going on. Get behind this uh, paradox and illusion. Did you have another tip, Mary? Yeah, I think you, you should be printing your credit report on an you know, at least um, quarterly because you get, you know, three credit reports for free or four credit reports for free. So you should be able to print one from Wait each. A second. If you get them for free, that must mean we're the problem. That's right. Right. <laughs> but you can, you can get, it's a government funded site. So you can get there, you know, print down your credit report and check to make sure that people haven't, you know, taken over your accounts um, because sometimes that can happen. Someone can put a lien on your house. And you'd never even know it if you weren't checking your credit report on a regular basis. And uh, a long time ago, I don't know if it's still true, that uh, if you check, every time you check your credit report, there's a little ding against your credit. Do we have to worry no, about not, checking it? Nope, not, not in this, because you're not a, you're not a lender. So okay. every time a lender checks your credit report, yes, that hurts your FICO score. But when you yourself go and reference it through this um, annual, I think it's free credit report, annual credit report, um, the, it doesn't, it doesn't ding you. Okay, very good. You are terrific. We need more people like you. You're like a watchdog. <laughs> uh, and I love it. I just love how vigilant you are. I love how educated you are about this. If you want to reach Mary, everybody, uh, how about the Twitter? Where do you want to send them? Uh, what's best? Probably to my website, connectforinsight.com. Okay, connect for the number four. Yep. Insight, I-N-S-I-G-H-T.com. Mary Aviles, you are terrific. Thank you so much for being with us today. It was a pleasure to be here, Michael. Thank you. We'll see you next time. Thank you.